Blog Talk Radio. There was a time I was so afraid, so scared to do what I wanted. In looking back, I can see all the mistakes that I made, and I wish that I Talk to me and tell me I can change. Don't be afraid. Just walk with your head up high. Don't be afraid. Just take it one step at a time. Don't give up on your dreams, no matter how small. There we go. Hi, welcome to Block Talk Radio Safe Recovery. This is Monica, and I'm your host. Tonight is May 21st, 2013. So we have, I think, a really great show. We have Nick Gaglia is going to be on in just a moment. And Nick is a filmmaker and uh, an activist who made the film Over the GW, which was, if you don't know what that is, it's the George Washington Bridge in Upper Manhattan, based on a true story of an abusive, cult-like drug rehabilitation center. Uh, The GW premiered at the 2007 Slamdance Film Festival, where it was the first under-the-radar narrative feature in the festival's 13-year history to get a distribution deal after its first screening. That's pretty awesome, Nick. Uh, It was reviewed by the New York Times, the New York Post, uh, the Chicago Sun-Times, Sometimes in Variety, The Huffington Post, a lot of things like a must-see film. And uh, he also is an activist. He, his activism work includes speaking out on the topic of treatment abuse of adolescents at various conventions, universities, and venues. He spoke at Capitol Hill, at NYU, The Dr. Phil Show. Ooh, I'd like to see what happened on that show. <laughs> Fox News, Real Talk. WOR Radio and Cal State, and Gagli received a humanitarian award from the Survivors of Institutional Abuse Organization for the work that he has done raising awareness through film. And I want to say, I'm going to bring him on any second, That that's so fantastic, Nick, but the fact that there has to be an organization called the Survivors of Institutional Abuse, and that's talking about teenagers is pretty telling and pretty sick about what's going on in our culture. And with that, I'm going to bring him on. Hi there, Nick. Hey, how are you? Thanks for having me. Oh, thank you so much for coming on. It's great to have you on my show. I am... Yeah. So uh, I tried to watch your film, and uh, I'm Uh going to watch the whole thing with a friend of mine, but it's really uh, painful. It's a, it's a tough film to watch. Yeah, yeah but I, I'm going to watch it. I mean, I've watched, you know, some tough films, like, you know, people, uh, the survivors of the Holocaust and the survivors of uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki. I think I can handle the teens. But it's hard because you can't wrap your head around that this is going on in our country. So for those who are listening for the first time, um, Nick Gaglia is a director. But why don't you tell a little bit about yourself and uh, what you're doing now? and why you made this film. Yeah, um, let me give you guys my background. I, uh, when I was 13, I was experimenting with uh, pot and alcohol. By 14, uh, I was uh, uh, completely out of control. I needed help. And uh, my I lived in, uh, my family lived in the Bronx, and my uh, mother found a quote-unquote revolutionary uh, rehabilitation center in uh, right over the George Washington Bridge in uh, New Jersey, in Secaucus, mm-hmm. uh, in, in, in residential uh, treatment. And uh, 
she uh, brought me there under the guise of uh, clothing shopping. I, I had no idea I was going to uh, a drug rehab that day. And wow. uh, that was the uh, beginning of uh, my two-and-a-half-year stay hell of physical, psychological, emotional, sexual uh, abuse, torture. And uh, after two-and-a-half years, I uh, devised a plan and managed to escape on uh, – Right, right before we were about to go over the George Washington Bridge again. So I, uh, when I got out, well, when I was in there, I knew nobody in the outside world knew what exactly what was going on in this place. And I'll get into the details uh, in a second of what was going on, um, uh, the specifics. But uh, when I got when I got out, I just felt something inside of me. I knew I needed to raise awareness and and. Uh, um, get this message out to the masses, and uh, I was always my passion is filmmaking. So I, I decided to make my first feature on my experience, and I called it over the GW. And uh, the reason why I called it over the GW is because, for me, um, going over that bridge was almost like, and, and being in that place, which was unlike anything, which was like another world. It was a metaphor for a different place, a different land, a different world. And the protagonist, uh, which is based on myself and uh, a composite of other personalities and people I've known uh, in the place, uh, he, uh, he, you know, he manages to escape, uh, you know, at the end. So, um yeah, so that's how Over the GW came about. Uh, just to, to, to get a little bit more into the specifics, I the place operated very much like a cult. And whenever I bring this up to people, it's very hard for them. I just think it's very hard for people in general to wrap their heads around what a cult is, how someone is able to be brainwashed. Um, but uh, what, what they were doing to us, uh, wasn't any different to what uh, the North Korean the North Korean brainwashing techniques from uh, the 50s and even on to today. Um, they we were forced to sit in this one big white-walled windowless room about 12, 13 hours a day. We had no free will. We weren't allowed to. Read. They had a, a complete control wow. over the uh, milieu. Yeah. Uh, before I went in there, when I was a kid, I, I, I quite enjoyed reading. Um, I became a teenager. I was using uh, book paper to roll joints. I, I stopped reading. Um, then uh, after being in there, and I, I, you know, I would read the back of a cereal box. I would read the back of a. Uh, of the, the ingredients on uh, on shampoo, and if we did that, we would get in trouble. We get screamed at. Uh, it, it would be hell. Um, but I just wanted to read anything because we were being starved of a proper education. If we had to go to the bathroom, we had to ask permission to use the bathroom. And then when we were brought to the bathroom, we were being held by our pants. We weren't able to walk anywhere on our own. And then when we were in the bathroom, we, uh, after we were done doing what we had to do, we had to ask for uh, permission to use the toilet paper. And then with that, we had to ask permission uh, uh, for how many squares we were able to use, which were, were usually uh, just one. And uh, if oh they didn't God. want to take it, yeah, yeah. That's if bad. They, uh, it, it's disgusting. If they didn't want to take us to the, the bathroom when we needed to go, uh, I saw a lot of kids uh, uh, defecate on themselves. Um, uh, did this place close down? The place I was in was called Kids of North Jersey. Uh, it actually originated a, as a place called Straight, which was uh, uh, very popular in the 80s. Uh, yeah. There's a PSA online from the 80s of uh, George Bush Sr. telling parents to send their kids to Straight if they're on drugs. And this place was Hell. Okay, this place was abusive. Nancy wow. Reagan endorsed it. Yeah, so um, so it started out as straight, and then um, it, it, what, yeah, what happens is, is these places, they get shut down, and then sometimes they'll open up 
in the same building under a different name. Same philosophy, same building under just changed the name. Um, the place that started out as straight eventually became kids, and uh, um, it actually a kid, kids uh, was a chain, and it was all over America. And mm. the last one left was the one I was in in Secaucus, New Jersey. And actually, when I was in there, uh, that one even got shut down. And like I said, it was like a cult. They took the kids and they brought the kids underground, and the same the restraints, the uh, oh my god. The yeah, the same abuse was happening in basements. Like, wow. You, and you would never even know what was going on. Sometimes they were in nice neighborhoods. Sometimes they were in, uh, 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 you know, we were in homes in, in Newark. Um, yeah. Which is a particularly bad neighborhood. And um, I just heard a uh, uh, sci-fi uh, noise. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, there was, uh, you know, so what year did um, you get out? Yeah, I was in there from 97 to uh, 99. I was actually in there for a longer period of time than I did drugs for. And when I managed to escape, um, I was so brainwashed that I, I, they told us, they told me, but they told all of us that I needed to dedicate my life to this program, and if I ever left, I would die. So um, I was, you know, as a teenager, I was faced up against, okay, if I, if I ever wanted to uh, pursue my dreams or, or just leave or, just, you know, if I wanted to be a film, they told me I couldn't be a filmmaker because uh, I needed to, if I wanted to stay alive, I needed to dedicate my life. My sister was in there as well. I was in there for two and a half years. My sister was in there for a year. She managed to escape a year in, and uh, they told me my sister was out on the street doing crack, and if I ever... Uh, uh, tried to reach out to her or speak to her at any point ever again in my life, I would go back to doing drugs. I essentially had to, um, you know, in, in my mind, I had to pretend she was uh, dead to me. And uh, I, I want to tell you a beautiful story um, which gave me the power to escape because I was very much brainwashed. And I thought right. if I ever left, you know, in spite of all the abuse, if I, this was better than me leaving and doing drugs and dying. So right. I, I, I drank the Kool-Aid. So two and a half years in, I'm thinking my sister's out on the street doing crack, and I had a visit from, I'm a spiritual person, I'm not a religious person. I don't know what it was, let's call it a guardian angel. But I, I had a vision that seemed more real than anything else I ever experienced in my entire life, and that was that my sister was graduating high school valedictorian and was about to go to college. And if I left, I would be okay. And that's what yeah. gave me the courage to escape. And the first thing I found out when I escaped is that my sister was graduating high school valedictorian. She never did crack. It was all lying. She was oh, my God. Columbia University. Yeah. Wow. Um, did you ever get, uh, like, uh, the ACLU, or did you sue this place? I, uh, there were... There's about maybe five people who uh, sued the place, and they were all very successful. Um, they uh, made millions, millions each. I, uh, I, I didn't go down that road. I never desired to go down that road. My, my journey, my path, uh, and my healing and my catharsis is uh, my films and uh, me raising awareness and my activism work. Uh, that's uh, that's what fulfilled me, and uh, nobody else was doing it, and, and that just felt like my place. Uh, um, it, you know, that felt like what I needed to do. But going back to the brainwashing, I just want to finish my point from earlier. I, um, uh, The moment I got out, I was so brainwashed that my mom and I turned to each other and were like, okay, we need to get me into another program right away, another rehab, because I can't be out here. So she took me to another place. Uh, the intake was very different than uh, the intake uh, um, in, in, at Kids, which uh, you saw at the beginning of Order the GW, uh, you know, very uh, abusive, physically abusive. Right. Um, this one was uh, literally my mom was in the room. There was one guy. It was a very, uh, you know, it was one counselor. It was, you know, very, very, uh, very different, very friendly, very welcoming. The first question they asked, when was the last time you did drugs? Two and a half years ago. They said, we can't take you. <laughs> and 
And that was yeah. kind of my first wake-up call that there was something wrong going on in, at kids. So this is, I mean, it's. can you hear me okay? Because I'm on like a speakerphone trying to do the show this way. Can you hear me? Yeah, I hear you. Um, you know, it, it's so disturbing and so scary to me. Uh, now that is, you know, so that was 2000, right, that you got out, and now it's 213. I know that you've, you know, done a lot of uh, speaking in front of uh, Congress, and I saw your at some event down in Long Beach last year, which I wish I would have known about. But um, what kind of stuff – let me um, back this up. So you get out, and mm-hmm. what was your life like for the next couple of years? Okay, yeah. So I I did about a year – I did about a year brainwashed. Um, I was – even though I was out, I was dressing like they told me to dress. I was eating like they told me to eat. I what? Was, uh, eating what? Yeah, we uh, – um, they, uh, they used food and food deprivation as a form of control, one of their many forms of oh. control. Um, but they said we, we – we weren't allowed to eat uh, uh, most foods, and uh, we were only allowed to eat just certain types of foods that had certain types of ingredients uh, w- without boring you with the details. It's just a right. form of control. And, uh, and nothing um, boring that you're telling me. I swear to God, it's pretty horrible what you went through. Yeah, so I did a, I did about a year um, living um, how I thought I was supposed to live, to be sober, and then I... Um, I, I was questioning myself because they told me who I was. I I was never inspired or encouraged to find out who I was for myself, so I never knew. And I think that's not just the key to recovery, but the key to life is to look within and for us to ask ourselves, who are we, and to be true to ourselves. And I think we right. need to give that to others as well. I think that is not just the key to recovery, the key to life. And we got the exact opposite of that. So I'm sitting there for a year. I'm living this way. People are looking at me like I'm weird, and uh, quite frankly, I was. And yeah. uh, But I didn't know, did I really have a drug problem? Did I have this? Did I have that? Who am I? Um, right. And I still wasn't doing filmmaking, even though I was very passionate about that when I was younger. Um, right. And uh, um, one day I, I was like, am I really, am I really an addict? And uh, I, yeah. uh, you know, I started drinking again and trying some other stuff and uh, – whether I was an addict before, whether or not I was an addict before I went in, I, you know, I, I was drinking, and it, to me, it, for me, it was out of control, and I needed to stop. I, I couldn't do it. Um, but let me give you a caveat with that. First of all, right. it doesn't matter whether I was an addict or not. The people that were in there, they weren't being helped. They were being hurt. So it doesn't matter what my issue was. But there were a lot of people that I've known personally and people that I've spoken to afterwards um, since I've gotten out in the past uh, 13, 14 years, whatever it's been, and um, they never did a drug before they went in, but because 24-7 they had these memes being drilled into their head that they're drug addicts. If someone didn't admit to doing a drug, they were forced so much pain upon themselves, whether it was psychological, physical, emotional, whatever, they would be screaming in their faces 24 hours a day until oh they God. were doing certain drugs. And there were girls who the worst thing they ever did was uh, masturbate, which isn't even wrong. Everyone does that. Uh, no oh, my no one, God. No, yeah, no one should be punished. But they, they were, and they were 11, 12 years old, and they were forced to say, they did heroin, they did crack, they did this, they did that. And then after they got out, they started doing those drugs. Uh, um, mm. And, and that, that's, that's a brainwash, you know, these memes get drilled into someone's head and they become these viruses of the mind. And then the second you start to believe them, um, they spread like cancer. Next thing you know, someone has a drug problem afterwards. And put on top right, of that. Right. I, I've, when, I've known people who've sent their kids to rehabs that were not um, abusive like your type there. I think they're psychologically and emotionally harmful, but where, say the kid went in just because he was, like, smoking too much pot and drinking, and uh, right. then the kid is sitting next to a heavy-duty uh, coke addict 
or a heroin addict, and the kid comes out and he's mixing with a demographic he's never mixed with, and then it's a whole setup for failure that, oh, this is the way you are for the rest of your life. Uh, I mean, I, I think it's really scary. But um, so The problem with a lot of these places, you know, they, there's no one-size-fits-all treatment. You can't right. put a, 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 a kid who masturbated, which isn't even wrong, with a kid who smoked weed on the weekends, with another kid who is a sociopath and, and murdered some people, and uh, you, you you don't put all these people into the same room and to expect to give them the, the the same therapy. Well, and also, why are people sending their children away? Like, what's going on in our culture? And I, when, when you're telling me, I mean, I didn't know that stuff was going on. And I had kids, uh, you know, older than you, and, and my son was born in 1990, the other one in 94. Uh, I had no idea that this stuff was going on in the country. I had seen Straight, that first movie. Uh, and mm-hmm. I was drinking the Kool-Aid of AA at the time as a young person, but the straight movie infuriated me, and I said, that's really sick, and what are they doing? And then click, you know, I didn't watch a lot of TV back then. But the idea that these parents, I mean, I grew up at a time, you know, the 60s and 70s, really the 70s when I was a teenager, where, like, everybody smoked pot and drank too much, and nobody sent their kid anywhere. First of all, there wasn't anywhere to send your kid. Nobody would do that to a teenager. Nobody would label, uh, although they tried to label us, you know, as alcoholics. There is no alcoholic teenager. That is like such propaganda, an addict. And it's a billion-dollar industry. The, you know, rehab, whether you just it includes... just the nail on the head. That's why these places exist. Billions of dollars. It's not small, Nick. Yeah. And, and you're a component. And if you keep, if you keep someone, quote, unquote, sick, if someone needs to be in there for a longer period of time or as long as humanly possible, that's more and more and more and more money. And the mm-hmm. issue here, why is they're so successful with the kids, is because in this country, kids do not have human rights. You don't have wow. human rights until you turn 18. You don't have any rights at all. Really? Yeah. Um, you know, this is... I was a teenager who left home and hitchhiked across the country, and, you know, I was free. <laughs> I, I can't imagine. I don't know. I, so I want to go on. So you, you, you get out, and you, you're yeah. drinking the Kool-Aid a bit, and, and what happens then as you turn 18, and, you know, what happens then when you come of age? Yeah, so I, uh, you know, I, I started uh, I started. I started using again. I started drinking. It, it, it uh, quickly became a, uh, a problem, an issue. The other thing, um, when anybody goes through something uh, so uh, traumatic, um, you know, they're kind of, you know, trying to fill that void with that alcohol or something else. And, uh, you know, how I got sober is uh, one day I, uh, like I said, I turned within and I asked myself, Nick, who are you? What turns you on? What's your passions? What's your loves? And uh, right. the first thing I did is uh, enroll in film school. And mm-hmm. uh, I was fulfilling something that I loved when I was little, and I was taken away from me uh, at kids but, because I was told that I could never do it again. And then I got to the point uh, um, where I just started, you know, I'm in my early 20s, and I asked myself, uh, you know, I was looking within and uh filmmaking was the first thing and uh uh i i uh it, it just uh never stopped from there and now i've uh i've made a couple of feature you know this is what i do for this is what i do for a living so what film school did you go to i uh i, I briefly went to uh hunter college because uh i was just kind of uh, I didn't know if I wanted to do it or not. I wanted to see if I, I, if I liked it, if I responded to it. And uh, I, uh, from the first class I took, I absolutely loved it. Um, the only issue was it was taking too long. I was so enthusiastic about learning that, and it was taking too long with prereqs to to get to the stuff I really wanted. You know, I really wanted to explore. So I. Uh, I, I left Hunter and uh, I went out. I, I took uh, every penny I had and I made uh, over the GW with it. And that that was essentially my film school. 
Wow. Uh, and um, so I, I want to go back a little bit uh, because this is really our first time meeting. I, uh, somebody, uh, and I, I've interviewed the, the woman who, Cindy um, Etler from Straightling. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you know Cindy? I the, no? the name is not ringing a bell. I may. I mean, I uh, I know I, I've gotten in uh, I've been in contact with literally uh, uh, thousands of people, but uh, the name uh, is okay. not ringing no, a bell. Maybe just but but I, and I, I may, know it's I okay. Like, um, but you used a, a terminology of being sober, so I wanted to talk about a little bit about that. Um, that are you, you know, did you go to a smart meeting, or you just decided that you wanted to be abstinent on your own, or? Oh, what mean, happened? Are you talking about? Are you talking about today? Yeah, when you said, well, you were talking about a few years ago. Uh, yeah, I um, I, uh, I I've been uh, I've been sober for eight years now, and uh, like I said, well, when I was trying to get sober, <laughs> I mean, it's starting from when I was thirteen. Yeah, I I never really liked the idea that I was doing drugs uh, uh, or drinking, um, but from thirteen to the you know, to the point uh, in my uh, late teens, early 20s, when I uh, officially got sober, I uh, tried everything under the sun, um, and nothing seemed to work for me. And then you have society telling you, um, this is the way you need to get sober, or you have uh, this rehab I was in saying, this is the way. You know, you have these authorities telling you as opposed to encouraging you. And uh, so like I said, the very last time, um, I, you know, it, it, it was me, it was a personal uh, spiritual experience I had by myself where I was just kind of finding myself, and that's, uh, that's how I got sober. And I, I, like I said earlier, I don't think that there's no one therapy for everybody. And, uh, I, you know, people need to be encouraged to find what's right for themselves, and this is what's right for me. Other, other things work for, for other people. Right. Now, um, there's two things happening right now. So I have a, a chat room. It's a little bit quiet tonight. I don't know. It's having trouble, problems pulling it up anyway. But um, Laura Tompkins, who's an addiction therapist and a writer, she's asking here, uh, can you ask uh, him what it was like to drink again and why did you choose abstinence? And I also want everybody to know that I have Amy Lee Coy uh, here with me, the writer of From Just the Right Part. She's uh, sitting here as sort of a guest listener, very quiet, but I'm going to, after you answer this question, which partially, Lori, he did answer a little bit, but would you kind of address that for her and why you use the word sober rather than abstinence? Are you in AA? Are you consider yourself an AA member? Oh, okay. So, okay. So, you, I think you asked like three or four questions. Ask me one at a time, and I'll answer one. I've got like a five in my head. First one is just simple, and I know it, but like I think Laura didn't hear it. So, what was it like when you drank again when you first got out of uh, the rehab? Um, the uh, the drinking it was awful. It was awful. I uh, well, first of all, you know, there's this. Uh, there's a small period uh, uh, when you start drinking each night or whatever where you're actually, oh, this feels really good. And uh, But that lasts a very short time. And then, uh, at least for me, I'm a blackout drinker. And then I wake were up you a ch- day, Were you still a child? Were you still a teenager? I'm sorry? Were you still a teenager when that happened? Yes. Yeah. So did you ever as a teenager drink to just have one or two drinks? Oh no, me. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm the type of person with everything. I, I go, you know, it's, it's. Uh, I think it's my greatest asset and my uh, greatest detriment. I, I go 200% with everything. I don't like the taste of alcohol. I always drink to get uh, uh, f up, if you know what I mean. Oh, okay, okay. So then um, you chose absence because you felt out of control, or you didn't like the way you were drinking. I don't want to put words in your mouth. So uh, you you became abstinent because. Um, oh yeah, I, I mean it was completely out of control. I think uh, the you know the theme of my uh, life uh, could all be related back to uh, control. When I was in this rehab, they had control over me. Uh, the alcohol, uh, when I was drinking, the alcohol has control over me. Um, when I'm uh, uh, being true to myself, then. Uh, 
not that I have control over myself, but it's uh, when I'm in uh, harmony, when I feel I'm in harmony with the universe. Um, you know, it, Amy, do you know Amy's story? Do you know anything about Amy Lee Coy? Tell me. So Amy was uh, dropped off. I'm going to speak for her unless you want to tell us. You were... Um, yes. Yeah, you, I'm going to just put you right straight here. Hi. Uh, I was Hi, Amy. Put in, uh, my Hi. Amy. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> One of my sisters' uh, name is Amy. <laughs> ah. Um, so I was just listening, and um, when you said that, you know, you you went back, you, you looked within and went back to what was what you loved as a child, um, which was film, it just made my, it broke my heart because, you know, you're, you said, I was also in rehab at 13, and you, it was like your childhood was stolen from you in a way with the, the never-ending rehab cycle and all of the things that they told us. But I did the same thing. When I finally quit, I went back to art and music, and it just, it just made me so sad. So that was sitting here with a tissue in my hand, and that's when Monica looked over at me. <laughs> so I'm going to put her back on, but I'm appreciating it. Thank you. Creativity, I mean, I just got to say, um, it, it is such a uh, a special thing to uh, tap into. So I know exactly what you're talking about. Yeah. I. Uh, um, so now you're working on, so those who are listening, I uh, just do a little commercial break. We're talking to Nick Aglia. He's a filmmaker. He's an activist. And you made a second film. Is that right? Have you, after the OVW? Okay. So I made I made uh, I made GW and uh, that that one uh, was pretty successful and uh, during my research, um, like I said, when I commit to something or when I do something, I put 200% in. And even though I had experiences, I did an incredible amount of research. And uh, uh, one of the uh, I think the scariest thing I found out I I I, I thought what happened to me and the dynamic of the way kids was ran was unique to kids, to that one program, that one building. And during the course of my research, um, the scariest thing I found out is these play, it's an epidemic in the States. And uh, actually, um, since Over the GW came out, um, I've been contacted from people who've seen the movie all over the world um, via email saying that they've had similar experiences, not just wow. in this country, but in other countries too. Um, and uh, they come in all different shapes and sizes. Um, right. They're under the guise of uh, 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 religion. They're under the guise, they say, oh, we, can, uh, uh, we cure the gays. Three gay teenagers have been killed this year in a similar tough blood program in Australia. It's, oh my God! It's, it's disgusting. There's nothing yeah. wrong with being gay. They don't. N- n- nobody needs a a a, a cure um, mm-hmm. for their sexuality. And uh, these kids are these teens. These kids that they're, they're dead. Um, and one of the stories I came across, um, right, just to go back to answer your question about the uh, the follow-up film. I read a book, uh, a wonderful book that I suggest everyone read. Very informative. Uh, it's called Help at Any Cost. By Maya Salovitz, and uh, it's on the uh, it's on the teen couple of drug industry. And one of the stories in the book uh, was about this kid named Aaron Bacon, who was in a wilderness camp. The place I was in, we were indoors all day, every day. We didn't see the light of day. Um, Aaron was in a wilderness camp for 30 days, um, where uh, his parents uh, were told that he would be hiking in beautiful uh, deserts by day, singing Kumbaya around the fire at night. He was in the program 30 days. He was abused and starved so bad that if you saw a Polaroid of what he looked like at the end of those 30 days, I'm talking, he lost so much weight, worst of the worst, Auschwitz, mm-hmm. and he died. Wow. And I was so affected by this story that uh, um, I, uh, you know, I made a follow-up film called uh, Aaron Bacon, and uh, you could actually, for the viewers at home, uh, uh, they, uh, uh, over the GW and Aaron Bacon, are available to watch for free on my website, N-I-C-K-G-A-G-L-I-A.com, if uh, anybody's uh, interested. So that was the uh, 
that was the uh, second film I did on the topic. So I, I did watch some of that. I saw, I watched the trailer, and I watched. I was just, uh, you know, really horrified by uh, that whole story. And uh, there was an arrest of a guy in Pasadena last year uh, who was running some sort of camp like that that was exposed by one of the investigative stations, you know, that were here. Um, you know, uh, the the sort of the powerlessness the mentality that has, I think, taken over a couple of generations. Uh, I'm in my mid-50s. Uh, to give you a background on myself, um, met somebody in AA when I was 18. I had already stopped drinking on my own, wanted to hang around sober people or people didn't use drugs or drink, and sort of met people. They were very laid back in the 70s, more hippie type, you know, I'm not so controlling about... Of course, there were sexual predators back then, too, because I was 13 steps. But I left uh, AA in that world that, you know, that's why I asked you about the word sober and all that behind me as I'm making my film exposing the criminal behavior and the abuse is going on in it. So are you aware of... Uh, I mean, I think that uh, your, your and what you're addressing is huge. It's It's children. You know, these kids are underage. Like you said, they have no rights. Uh, and, and yet, um, you know, I feel pretty passionate about my case because people are being murdered and um, raped by men who are being court-ordered into Alcoholics and Narcotics Anonymous. Uh, are you aware of the, what's going on in that world? No, this is actually the first uh, I have ever heard of it uh, coming out of your mouth right now. Really? So. So, um, you know, I want to applaud you for uh, uh, making your documentary and uh, your efforts to uh, bring bring more awareness to to, uh, um, to the topic. Oh my God! Well, I um, I'm really moved by um, you know I think it's really an important topic. Now we had somebody call in, but they dropped off because I I didn't want to stop you. I feel like it was the first time we were talking, and I really sure. wanted to hear. So, uh, you know, what you're doing and what you're up to. Uh, can you tell the listeners, uh, if knowing what you know today, what are some of the uh, places that are still doing this today in the United States? Yeah, I think the key here is to, um, it's, it's not so much the, uh, um, the names of the places, um, because, uh, these, like I said, these places get closed down and they open up under different names uh, all the time. Um, but I think the key here is to understand the dynamic of how these places operate, their philosophy, and um, what the, the red flags are when someone's looking for a place to uh, put their kid in because, uh, uh, you know, the truth is, someplace that was good yesterday could be bad tomorrow, or vice versa. So I, I think, uh, um, and uh, if you look on my website, I have a list of these things. Uh, if you uh, go on helpanycost.com, which was the uh, the book uh, that, that I recommended, there's a, a, a list of uh, things to look out for. Um, but What uh, site is that again, Nick? I'm on your site right now. Where should people go? The links, uh, home and then links? Yeah, go to go to links and under under links there's a link to uh, helpatanycost.com, um, uh, that a list that Maya made up and put out that's uh, really informative. So if you go to my website and under links there will be a link there. Okay, now um, do you? How old are you now? I uh, just turned 31. Oh wow! Welcome into the 30s. Uh, and have you I ever like read Stanton's Peel, Addiction Proof Your Child? No. Do you know any of his work? Yes. Um, Addiction Proof Your Child, uh, you know, was one that, I, I mean, I came from that AA thinking, and so I, I said some bad things to my older child and my younger child when I was still drinking the Kool-Aid of Alcoholics Anonymous. And, right. uh, you know, the kind of, if you say that this is so, which I was lied to, um, that because I drank like a teenager, that my child had a 50% chance of having a problem, do you know that that's bullshit? 
Yeah, well, what's also interesting is um, if you start to say certain things and then people believe them, it's the same type of meme I was talking about, maybe to a lesser degree because it's not forced on you like it was forced on us. But the second there's misinformation out there and if someone starts to believe it, then it can manifest and become true. Do you follow right. me? Yeah, I, I mean, I think so. Uh, because my second son found a mom who he watched me as I tried to change, you know, from internally and then leave AA. Uh, and so he got less of a, although I was, not, you know, somebody, I actually had sponsors, Nick, who told me to put my son into rehab, and I said, fuck you. I said, oh. rehab and treatment doesn't work, because when I got sober, which is a word I don't like to use anymore, because I think AIDS hijacked it, but when I was around in the 70s, Nick, nobody went to rehab, and everybody from a hardcore heroin addict to an opiate user to a drunk all were getting clean and so-called abstinent in AA and NA without going anywhere. You know what I mean? Like, mm. I, I do. The, the only aspect of the D program, the mothership that's still out there, uh, is that people can come together and have a common cause. And one of the bloggers, Gunther, said, you know, there could be like a what is it called, sober friends, and you know, like a society. You know, in fact, I talked to a neurosurgeon about this, and he said, oh, what, AA, oh, isn't that a club where everybody sits around and, you know, talks to each other, and they just support each other with not drinking? And I said, are you kidding? If AA took away all the readings and all the stuff work and the crazy sponsors, and it was just a club of, like, okay, let's all hang together, and if you drank, they said, well, what happened? Like, they do it smart and treated you with respect and treated you like an adult, that aspect of it, I think, is the aspect that works. But the rest of the stuff is that's my tangent. So, um, but what is it that you're working on now that you feel most passionate about? Yeah, I'm uh, extremely excited and uh, I'm proud of my sister. Like I said, she she ran away about a year in, and. She just recently wrote a novel based on. Uh, her journey running away and reclaiming her identity and getting her life back together. And uh, the book is called Run. It's available on Amazon. Her name is uh, Teresa Pena, and uh, we're going to be making that into a a feature film. And you can read the first uh, two chapters uh, for free on Amazon before Mm -hmm. you buy it to see if you like it. But when you read this thing from page one, it grabs you by the throat and does not let go. It, it, it moves. It's, it, it's emotional, and uh, it's uh, her. Her. It starts from the moment she runs away, and it ends with her uh, uh, graduating valedictorian from high school. And uh, what uh, what a journey! What a ride! What a brave soul she is. Uh, uh, to me, I, I read it. It's, it's emotional, but uh, she's the most inspiring person I've ever met in my entire life. And when I read that book, that's the reason why. And uh, she's what gave me the uh, the strength to run away by her doing what she did, even though I just had a vision of it. And from there, yeah. um, going uh, being being out and uh, uh, my recovery from the abuse. Uh, I was extremely fortunate because I had her to look on to seeing oh, that's someone who came from where I was and she's able to, to do this. Um, so we're going to, uh, that's the next film and uh, that's what we're working on right now. I'm really are you in pre-production for it now? We are uh, putting together the uh, finances. We're at the finance stage. Okay. And um, I, I would want to you know, stay in touch with it and uh, so um, she is a little bit older. Is she older than you? One year older. One okay. Year. And uh, was she inspired to run because of what she saw happen to you? She uh, went through her own abuse, but she was uh, she was uh, 
she was inspired to run. Uh, you know, she was ready to, uh, you know, bite the apple of life and uh, claim her I- identity. And uh, she knew the place was bad. I, uh, I drank the Kool Aid. She didn't, and she, uh, she was able to uh, get away. And I know it was the hardest decision she ever made in her entire life because she felt like she was leaving me behind and in a, such an awful place. Well, wow. um, but uh, you know, oh which is. Yeah, which is silly, but uh, um, wow, that's and, and and how does your mother uh, how does your mother feel about it all now? You know, my my mother is uh, extremely uh, brave. I never held a uh, resentment towards her for uh, putting us in there because I realized that the parents uh, were victims as well because they were brainwashed and the uh, the screaming in the face and the uh, the uh, the, the, the control through fear was all done to the parents as well. Uh, actually, uh, I call the parents the uh, cult members. The kids weren't didn't have a choice, but the parents were. So I call the parents the cult members. And uh, I know it's a hard thing for people to wrap their heads around. Uh, uh, but um, my mom, she uh, she came on. Uh, 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 she's seen all the uh, activism work uh, I've done in the past decade, and she, uh, uh, when it came time to do uh, Dr. Phil, uh, I thought it was a great opportunity to hear the parents' side of the story. They, we, uh, in all my years, you never really, I've never heard a parent. You never hear the parents' side of the story, but it's an important one. And uh, I thought my mom was very brave to go on national television in front of 5 million people and uh, uh, talk, talk about her side of the story and her, her experience and do it in an extremely uh, humble and uh, open manner. And so to me, I, I, I'm just her uh, biggest fan. Um, what happens on um, Dr. Phil? When you went on there, what was the focus of you know what you said and how did you respond? To yeah, I, yeah. Um, basically, uh, it, it was. Uh, I tried to keep the, the focus on uh, the uh, uh, on the the parental side of it. I, I thought that was uh, an ex- extremely important side of the story. I, uh, I I think it's easy for someone to understand kid. Abuse, uh, but it's, an, uh, it's a, a harder side of the story to wrap your head around uh, uh, the parent experience. So um, I wanted to keep as much of the focus on that as possible, and I also wanted to. I went to the Survivors of Institutional Abuse uh, Convention in, in uh, Long Beach uh, a year or two ago, and right. uh, one one thing I noticed. Uh, from the survivors that were there is that a lot of them are estranged from their parents because of uh, what happened. And I thought it would, it would be a beautiful thing. It could be a beautiful thing to see a, uh, a parent and, uh, and a, not a child anymore, but uh, uh, my mother's son, just to see the family unit uh, up there together talking about the topic. So that was a so I am talking to Nick Aglia, who is a filmmaker and activist who made um, over, across over the GW. Wait, is it over the GW? Um, I'm, I'm sorry, someone's just asking me. I wanted to. Oh yeah, over the GW. Also, Aaron, Aaron Bacon, and yeah. uh, Altered States on Plane. Uh, yeah, Altered States on Plane is more of a. Uh, um, it, it, it's 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 more abstract uh, than the others uh, in the sense that uh, it, it's sci-fi tinged about this guy who falls asleep and wakes up in different parts of the world and doesn't know why. But uh, at the core, it's about a it's about a guy who uh, uh, this character playing he he he's uh, an orphan. He doesn't remember anything from his past, and uh, he was abused in the orphanage, and he's dealing with the post-traumatic stress of that. So. Uh, even though it's a little bit more uh, abstract uh, than the other ones on the topic, it's uh, it's for me. It's about my uh, my my journey and recovery and uh, through PTSD and whatnot. Mm. Um, there was a conference that just happened about that. Somebody just bought. Was there a conference? Oh, someone should be. 
Oh, oh, she was saying, she has a blogger is saying that she's shocked that there was so much um, abuse going on that you need a conference, which is kind of what I commented when I was reading, that we have to have a society or an organization uh, that, that people are, that there's so many of these places. I want to ask you this quickly, though, before I forget. So, you know, mm-hmm. there's, a, there's a horrible show on A&E called Beyond Scared Straight that, to me, is like child abuse and should be taken down. What do you think about that show? I think it's disgusting. Yeah. Yeah, I, 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 I agree. Uh, have you done, I mean, some of us bloggers uh, wrote letters and called A&E, and, uh, you know, we have, on one hand, we have Anderson Cooper, uh, you know, who, and we have the movie The Bully, which I saw, all this stuff is important, and then you're going to have a show on called Beyond Scared Straight. I mean, w, what, what's going on here? And then you have shows like with the chefs screaming at people, and everybody, that's like entertainment. I mean, but the, but scared, the Beyond Scared Straight is, a ridiculous show that is abuse, but what it says is that, that a parent has to sign off on allowing their kid to be on the show. Yeah, I think any time, I think outside of what the show is about, I, I think uh, I think going through uh, recovery is such a uh, private experience, and to uh, exploit that on uh, television, I, to me, I think is just a, uh, I, I think it's just disgusting. I mean, that, that's just my personal uh, take on it. Mm-hmm. And are you involved in some sort of support group with your abstinence? Uh, no, uh, no particular support group. But uh, I mean, uh, obviously, I uh, I have uh, I have a lot of friends who are in recovery, uh, and uh, you know, and I have a lot of friends who are just who are not in recovery, who are just into spirituality and whatever that means for them, and. Uh, you know, those are the types of people I like to uh, surround myself with. Mm-hmm, but, uh, mm-hmm. No, 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 uh, no specific uh, support group. Um, um, what helped you program? Uh, you know, you, you really said you were drinking the Kool Aid, and you, you know, uh, it took about a year. You were still that way. What did, what did you have to do? Did you see a special, you know, therapist? Or read certain books? What did you do? To uh, deprogram myself. Yeah. Well, I think it's a, a mixture of, but um, I think it's a 100% uh, life experience and having the, uh, you know, the, the, the eagerness to, uh, you know, to, to learn about myself. Um, you know, I used to joke and say that it was the, uh, it was the getting drunk again that actually um, put my mind on the right track that actually made me uh, made things a lot clearer for me, um, but. Uh, you know, but then uh, people started to think I was recommending uh, drinking, which, uh, you know, I don't I don't recommend not drinking either. I think it's, you know, whatever's right for the person. But, uh, you know, the point is I, I think uh, it's that willingness to uh, want to learn about uh, oneself and uh, um, just taking life, taking everything uh, that life throws at you, uh, you know, just taking it as it comes and, you uh, um, not getting too uh, angry at, you know, things, uh, you know, speed bumps along the way, but really taking those opportunities to allow oneself to, uh, you know, to learn about themselves. So. I, I think you make a really good point um, when someone said to you, oh, gee, you're not telling people to drink. And what I would say to them is, well, why not? Like, it's prohibition is long gone. You know what I mean? It's not the 30s. And when you were coming of age or when you're 21 or 25 or 27, I think one of the things that, I mean, I didn't want to drink for, you know, very many years or a very, very long time. I didn't want to have anything. But I think it's unfair to say to a young person, especially we're not in Saudi Arabia. Like I know the Bush administration was close to them, like, ha-ha. But, you know, <laughs> drinking is legal in the United States, and we're not talking about an illegal substance. And so the black and white thinking that because somebody acted out as a teenager, that actually a lot of people grow out of that. And if somebody is deprogramming that perhaps somebody can uh, drink, uh, you know, very, very mildly or normally, or like out of the big book, like a gentleman, our hat's off to him. But honestly, in the culture, in my fight, which is not your fight, or my awareness is that 
if they really meant that, then people would be welcome to, instead of me being told as a young person, well, you know, identify and don't compare and, you know, we'll just, you know, uh, well, you didn't lose any work, but did you ever lose school? It's like they should have said, honey, you don't belong here. Go live your life. Not like try to always make a comparison to make me fit in there. And I do think that when you get to share our talk, when you said that that drinking is the thing that broke you free, that is the thing for many people that says, whoa, wait a second, I'm not part of your cult anymore. You know, I'm not part of that thinking. And whether somebody decides to be absent because they're, oh, they're a Buddhist or they're a Muslim or they're somebody like you who says, you know, I feel great when I'm completely clean and clear and I don't want any substance to alter that feeling that I have about myself. I like this. This makes me feel powerful, not powerless. Yeah, I think on a broader sense um, that, I, you know, in society, you know, you have this brain, like you said, you have this brainwashing and I had this brainwashing in the program and then, uh, you get out and then like there's a, a different type of uh, brainwashing in the, the American society and people telling you, oh, you should do this or you shouldn't do that as opposed to encouraging, you know, if, uh, if my uh, sister, uh, my sisters don't smoke, but if my sister one day wanted to smoke a cigarette, then, you know, don't judge her. Let, it, let her smoke the cigarette. People mm -hmm. should be free and supported and encouraged to do uh, whatever they want to do, and if uh, you know, obviously, if something's harming somebody, you want to you want to be there for them. You want to care. You want to have uh, compassion. But I, I think uh, part of having compassion is uh, you know not judging somebody else uh, because they're uh, gay or they want to have a drink or or whatever the thing is, but uh, accepting. I'm talking about unconditional love. Right. Um, right. I think that's and we have about more. three and a three minutes left and I want to just say it again we're talking to Nick Gaglia it's G-A-G-L-I-A he's a filmmaker and you can go to his website uh, nickgaglia.com and see both of his films for free off of there but we have these few minutes left what are the ten things that you would tell a parent to look out for oh god I, I don't have them memorized uh, <laughs> to me there's <laughs> To me, to me, to me, there, there's so much more than uh, ten things. But I, I think. Um, okay, no, like I'm going to go to your list. But I, I will. Some good questions uh, to ask. I have it in front of me. You want me to read it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, I actually think it would be a good idea of you to read it. But I, I, I will say just, uh, just so I don't cop out of the, uh, the question. I right. think it's, uh, um, I think it's so important to, um, you should be able to talk to your kid. Anytime you want. If you put them in a program, you should be able to talk to them anytime you want unsupervised, and they should be able to talk to you unsupervised. And, uh, mm -hmm. you know, this, this, is, this is the last thing I'm going to read, uh, leave off with before you, um, um, uh, before you read off those ten things is uh, um, uh, Congress keeps on trying to pass a bill. These places are privately owned, privately ran, so there's no oversight from the federal government. And although I don't think uh, the government needs oversight on everything, I think it needs to happen here because these kids are getting wow. abused. And uh, I, uh, the, the bill gets up to the Senate level, and uh, uh, it's gotten filibustered a couple of times. Uh, uh, 2015 is the next time uh, this thing is coming uh, to light. I encourage everyone to please call up their local congressman and ask them. I, I don't know the name of the uh, uh, the new bill. The last one was 3126, I believe. Uh, one before that was 911. Um, I don't know what the new one's going to be called, but uh, please, uh, you know, I'll, you know, follow, friend me on Facebook, follow me on Facebook. I'll be sending updates, and uh, please contact okay. the, your, your local congressman and make sure they're supporting the bill. Okay, we have 60 seconds left. I want to have you back on in about a month. And what we can do is really talk about, like, talk directly to parents and teens with issues so they can ask. I'm going to, I can't read them all in uh, 60 seconds. You have to be able to be in contact with your child all the time. What are the qualifications of the line staff who work directly with the teens? What is your policy on isolation or restraint? What is your procedure for patient complaints? What are the rules of the program and the consequences? I want to thank you. It's been so great. I'm going to post some of this stuff on my blog, even though it's a little bit different from my leaving AA stuff. 
I think it's very important, Nick, and we'll just have you on again so we can have maybe a deeper conversation. Would you like that? That would be wonderful. Thank you so much, uh, Monica. This has been a pleasure, and uh, I look forward to uh, doing it again. Okay, thank you so much. It was Nick Agley. I'm Monica Richardson. I'll be back next week on Blog Talk Radio Safe Recovery. Good night, everybody. Good night, Nick. Good night. Okay, bye.